All right, so uh, we pick back up tonight with, uh, thank you, Mike, with uh, what amounts to part 10 of this uh, series we've been working on, on spiritual warfare. You know what? I feel like I'm like a mile away from you all, like I need to grab three rows and throw them out and get close or something. Uh, I won't spit on you if you sit up close. I know I'm not that kind of a preacher, I promise. Um, <laughs> I understand, though. Um, one of these days, I'm going to let you all sit down, and I'm just going to take the podium and go to the back and make you turn around. That's what I'm going to do. Um, we are, uh, we are uh, in the midst of studying this series on spiritual warfare. The particular part of it that we're in is dealing with this passage in Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, relating to the armor of God. And I know it's been several weeks since we've been in this, so we'll do a little bit of review in a moment just to kind of get our get our thoughts back together on this. But um, I've got a few uh, group questions that um, we'll put up on the screen for you. And uh, just to get your mind thinking about this again, um, but I want you to, uh, to, to just split up with a few people around you. If you don't know somebody that's around you, then meet them. Uh, introduce yourself. And uh, just chat about uh, these, these three things for about ten minutes. See what you come up with, and uh, then we'll pull it back together and uh, jump back into Ephesians 6, okay? So, uh, ready, set, go. You can get up and you can move, and that's okay, and talk and all those things. All right, so um, you had a few minutes to, uh, to look over these thoughts, and uh, certainly uh, a couple of these uh, questions probably you could spend a lot longer on. So... Um, <clears throat> Looks like you guys were able to uh, to come to some answers. So let's talk about it for just a second, okay? Um, now, the first question, um, how would you define faith and what does it look like in the midst of spiritual warfare? Now, uh, that question, <clears throat> actually that word, faith, um, it, it's one of the words that's um, in, in Christianese language that we use all the time. That uh, we seem to have some sense of what it means, but uh, when you're at, when you're forced to s- sit down and define it, it becomes a little more challenging. Did you find that to be the case when you're trying to put a definition to the word faith, or was it a piece of cake for you? Yeah, you cheat. Just go to Hebrews 11:1, 1, right? Okay. Yeah, if you remember that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so Steve, uh, Ephesians 11:1, 1, give it to us. Remind us. Well, look it up. All right, Pastor Frank has got on top of his brain there. Evidence of things hoped for. Okay. So that, that helps us a little bit. Uh, it, it gives us something at least. Um, uh, it might take some work to break that down a little bit into to real concrete sort of terms. But what else did you come up with in trying to define faith? Okay, it involves trusting God. Absolutely. It involves trust for sure. Okay, so maybe we could put those two together and call it a confident trust. Okay, confident trust. Okay. Okay, so it's having a confident trust in something that we can't necessarily see, touch, feel, hear, audibly. Um, okay. Okay, so you can't prove. Yeah, because we see the, the contrast between faith and sight. You know, if it's sight, it's not faith, but... So faith has to be involved. It has to involve something that's not visible and concrete and clear. Okay. What about you guys over here? Anything? Are you everybody just going to be shy tonight? Come on, don't make me pull it out of you. What have you got, John? <laughs> I love it. I love. I love that kind of honesty right here. What was the question? 
Um, we're talking about the four views of Revelation over here. I don't know. Uh, you tell us what you think. Uh, we're talking about faith here, trying to define it. Okay, so everybody, everybody just went to Hebrews 11 and said, okay, check number one off, done. Okay, I see. Okay. Well, Sunday we're talking about faith again, so, um, you know, we just won't spend any more time on this, and I'll just deal with that on Sunday, okay? Um, we need to deal with a little bit of it tonight, though. Okay. All right, so trying to get you to be practical about this, what, is it, what does faith look like in the midst of spiritual warfare? When the, when the battle is raging, what does faith look like in, in, in practice? All right, faith looks like okay, we, there's a, it produces peace. We could say that, sure. And there's definitely a result of faith. Peace is. Yes, I do mean faith in yeah. That that is assumed. I should probably should have clarified that, Pastor Frank. <laughs> that is a that's uh, a good question. Good point. What does faith in God look like in the midst of spiritual warfare? Have you ever been in a season of that in your life, and 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 faith has kind of risen to the type? What is that? What is that? Practically, what is that like? How do you see the difference between faith and not faith? Okay, so this get back to that confident trust in God in the middle of that. So even when things don't look pleasant and good, it's the ability to to trust and persevere and obey and stay at it, uh, even though the circumstances are unpleasant and and uh, maybe the outcome is uncertain. Um, it's, it's 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 living in light of of that and, and obedience and. Maintaining things like peace and joy and all of that in the midst of, of the conflict. Okay? Yeah. Okay? Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, Pastor Frank and I, like so many pastors, one of the, um, I, I call it an unfortunate privilege uh, that we have as pastors is to do funerals. Um, it's unfortunate because you're never pleased when someone has passed. But it's also a privilege because it provides a great opportunity for ministry often. But um, I think we could both testify to that it's in the midst of the context of death that you can see the difference between faith and not faith, um, how that affects people. You know, when somebody that you love and somebody that's dear, you know, someone's very close to you dies, a parent or in some cases a spouse or a child, navigating through that, through that season, um, you know, faith either bubbles to the top or you see the absence of it. And, um, and it looks different. It looks different. Um, you know, there are people, there's peace, there's confidence, there's hope, there's trust, there's all these things um, that are somewhat inexplainable on the surface, but you, you notice when they're not there very clearly. Um, so I think that's, that's probably um, some, some good answers. Ephesians 6.16, uh, the passage we're going to spend a little time, the first part of tonight, to, uh, this evening, uh, speaks of these, the shield of faith extinguishing flaming darts or or fiery darts, or flaming arrows, depending on your translation, um, that can be launched by the enemy in the midst of spiritual warfare. What are, what are, I just wanted you to think about what your, your first thoughts on that. What, do you, what is Paul talking about here in terms of spiritual warfare? What kind of fiery, flaming darts does the enemy launch at us? Okay, temptations, I like that. Doubt, doubt. Temptation. Fear, yes. Hopelessness. Yes. Okay. Well, certainly the purpose of that is yes. And when flaming darts are coming at me, I know I'm under attack. That's for sure. Um, but you're right. And the goal being to, ultimately, to, we've talked about this a couple of times, to knock you down and knock you out of the battle. Um, so, yeah. But, but looking at what are these fiery darts, all those are good things. I, I like 
success could be one. Absolutely. Inordinate success can often pull us out of the battle and, and away from the Lord. So sure, you can use success as much as you can use lack of that. That could be a weapon. Other people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some flame right in front of you. You can see it. Um, um, Audrey. Okay. So any kinds of uh, weaknesses that we could be vulnerable to, he knows the weapon to come at us in that way. Things like doubt, hopelessness, fear, uh, anger, um, uh, d- depression, discouragement. Um, I've, I've had two conversations with folks this week that are right in the middle of, of different kinds of battles. And, um, and these are all the kinds of things that are coming at them, you know, in the middle of this. Um, so, yeah, a good answer. Good answer. Um, Paul is the author of Ephesians. What kind of spiritual warfare did he face in his ministry? Just some quick examples. You know, pepper me real quick with what kind of things. If, you, if you're familiar, we studied Acts. So if you were here when we studied Acts, you got a, a glimpse of some of these. But Okay, so he had all kinds of physical things going on. Shipwrecks, stonings, bitten by snakes, all these kinds of things. Really physical, tangible kinds of attacks. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Paul did struggle with loneliness. Yep. Okay, so he had to navigate uh, disagreements among among the Christians in the different places where he was. Sure. We had, okay, so time spent in prison would have been a great trial for Paul because his whole everything about him wanted to be out planting churches, and when he's locked in a prison, chained to a guard, he can't do that. So the ministry's kind of taken away. Certainly, that would be a battle, a mental battle. Absolutely. Disappointment in, in, that's right, some of his disciples, yes. I heard something else come from back there somewhere, and I didn't quite catch it. Betrayal, absolutely. Yeah, we get this passage at the end where Paul, uh, one, of the, uh, one of Paul's letters where he says, look, everyone's abandoned me except for uh, one guy. Um, you know, here he is in jail, and everybody that he's in, all these people that he's led to the Lord, and, and nobody's around. He's by himself, yeah. Absolutely. You know, Paul struggled with depression some, too. There's a, a particular passage where he's, he speaks of all the things that, have, that he's endured. And he says, look, we were, we were persecuted. And he said, we despaired even of life. I mean, what does that mean to say I'm despairing of life? That means, I mean, things are so bad there are times when we wish we were dead. I mean, I shared that passage with a friend who was asking me questions about that this week. Um, so, I mean, he understood spiritual warfare. He, I think if anybody, if we have an example of anyone in Scripture who saw that really clearly and faced it in a lot of different ways, he becomes our example. So, incidentally, um, he's probably the best authority to write on the subject, don't you think? Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Um, we've got this, this thorn, uh, this thing referred to as a thorn in his side. Are you asking me what I think it was? Because he doesn't define it for us. He just says there's a thorn in it. He called, well, I, I think it's a... I, I think it has to do with the false teachers that were, that were dogging his ministry. In that passage, he says, he's a thorn in my side. And then he says, um, a messenger of Satan. But the word messenger is the word angelos, or angel, an angel of Satan. So it could be something like some sort of a demonic presence that was, you know, dogging his ministry. Um, I think it was something like that. I mean, people speculate all kinds of things. Pastor Frank, you might have a different answer on that. Um, yeah. Some people say, I mean, there were physical ailments, and some people, you know, speculate other things, but that makes sense because everywhere he went, there were false teachers who were infiltrating the church, and they were certainly satanically motivated. So it may be, it makes sense to me that maybe that's what he's talking about, that um, there's this demonic sort of a presence that's dogging his ministry everywhere he goes. But 
You know, he doesn't define it, so we can just speculate. But certainly that was part of his battle. We asked the Lord to remove that three times, and it didn't remove it. It was a battle that endured over the long haul. So um, Paul definitely understood these things. He, he, was, he, was, an, he was an expert on spiritual warfare, uh, we could say. So it's right that we, that, that we listen to his advice on this um, as we study. So Ephesians 6, written by Paul, uh, in verse uh, 17, he talks to us. We've been going through this, this, uh, this, this, this um, battle sort of illustration that he uses, this armor. And we've, we've already got a few pieces of the armor, right? He's using the analogy of a Roman soldier. Um, and the equipment that the Roman soldier uses to protect himself in battle. And the analogy is from, a, from a, a physical battle to a spiritual battle. And he's saying just like a Roman soldier needs particular pieces of armament in order to survive the battle and to endure it and to come out on the other side alive. Um, in the same way, when we face spiritual battles, there's, there's armament that needs to be in place. There are things are. Um, there are things that need to be in place in our lives if we're going to be able to survive, if we're going to be able to endure, if we're going to be able to, uh, to be, when the battle is over, to be standing. And um, he uses that, we've we noted that several times, you know, in this passage in Ephesians 6. Um, let me just read the whole passage because we haven't looked at it in a while. Listen to what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord. This is Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Uh, and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes are, excuse me, and as shoes for your feet have been put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Uh, to that end, keep alert uh, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We'll stop right there. Um, but this is the, the analogies Paul is using here. And uh, we've already looked at a few of these pieces of armor. Um, the idea that we should uh, have the belt of truth. Uh, we remember talking about the belt of truth. Anybody remember that? It's been you know, six or eight weeks ago. Um, uh, we've got this idea of truth. Right? The truth needs to mark our lives. Because a lot of satanic attack, a lot of the, the battle that comes at us, Satan is the father of what? He's the father of lies. He's described consistently throughout Scripture as a liar, a manipulator, one who takes the truth and twists it. Um, and so, uh, inevitably, the kinds of battles that we find ourselves in are rooted in satanic lies. And he comes at us that way. And so, you battle, in order to battle the lies, you have to have some sense of what? Truth. And that's we saw that in Jesus, in his temptation, satanic lies, he responds with the truth. And God's word plays such an important part in that. So, the belt of truth we talked about. And then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Do you remember what that was? Breastplate of righteousness. Did I have the definition up for that, Josh? Just to remind us. Okay, the breastplate of righteousness. Practical righteousness of a life lived in obedience to God's Word. Okay? It's living, part, of, part of withstanding the battle is, is living righteously. Living righteously and obediently to the Lord. Um, so that, without going back to that, because that, we don't have time. The breastplate of righteousness. Okay? So we, we dealt with that. Um, and, and so now uh, we, we, we talked about the shoes of peace. Peace. Do you remember the shoes? Peace. Shoes. Do you remember? 
Look at me, people. Here. I'm up here. Answer, yes. No, I don't remember the shoes. Uh, okay. Remember we talked about the cleats so that you could stand. You had to peace. And peace is a part of the issue here. Standing in the confidence of God's love for us, His union with us, and His commitment to fight for us. That's what the shoes of peace. Peace comes out of that. It comes out of this confidence that God loves us. Okay? I'm in a battle, but that doesn't mean God doesn't love me. In fact, I can stand confidently because I know He does love me. And if I know that God loves me, then I'm here because He's got a loving purpose for me in this somehow. And the idea that not only that, but I can have peace because I trust that I'm not in this alone. God is with me, right? I'm I'm united to Him, so I'm not fighting by myself. And then uh, the idea that God is fighting on our behalf. And these things kind of round out this idea of what shapes this, this ability to have peace in the middle of the battle. Okay? And so then we move to this uh, shield of faith that we're talking about tonight in verse 17. Uh, excuse me, verse 16, uh, where he says to us, um, uh, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So, I don't know, if you've seen like old movies um, where you had like Roman soldiers in battle, have you seen movies that depict this? Okay? So you understand the look of the Roman soldier, right? So you, you normally have seen Roman soldiers in battle with a shield. What does that look like? Okay, there's two. Oh, see, it's funny. I had, it's, like I just, it's like I paid you guys to say that or something. Um, there are two kinds of shields, and one guy said one and one guy said the other, and so they're both right. Um, you've probably seen like the round shields that you know, they hold and they fight with one hand or hold the shield this way and fight you know, and guard, and they're kind of small. They're used for a defensive purpose. It's not the kind of shield that Paul's talking about here. It's not the word that he uses. another kind of a shield that looks more like this. About four feet tall, about two to two and a half feet wide. Um, It was not used for hand-to-hand combat. Um, It was was built and designed so that, that on the battlefield it could be jammed into the ground and the whole body could be hidden behind it like that. You, see what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this in a movie or something? So maybe you've seen the, the depictions of battle. You remember uh, in these days in battle, you'd have like these guys would line up in lines, in rows, side to side, and they'd all have these big shields, and they'd just come marching forward. Who's behind those guys? Do you remember? Well, not necessarily cavalry, but that, they were back there too. Okay, all right. Here. The archers, okay, and the archers shoot over these guys, right, to get the bad guys. Well, on the other side, you've got the same thing going on. So you've got arrows coming at you. So it's important to have these big shields because when the volley of arrows is coming, you can jam it in the ground and get behind it and protect yourself from the arrows that are incoming. Um, and and it, was, uh, it, w- it would have been common in Paul's day in this kind of a battle to, um, to tip the arrows with some metal, some sort of metal, and they would put some pitch or some tar just behind that and light it on fire right before they fired it, um, you know, to make obviously what is already a deadly sort of a weapon even more deadly. So even if you don't exactly hit your target, if you hit near it, you know, what happens? The, t- the, the pitch or the tar can splatter and still, you know, do some damage. So they built these kinds of shields and they were, you know, thick leather on the outside and often coated with some oil that could extinguish the flame. And so when that volley of flaming arrows would come in, they'd jam it in the ground, get behind it, and, you know, the arrows would hit the shield and they'd be safe. Imagine if you didn't have that. If they didn't have that. I mean, you're just a sitting duck, aren't you? I mean, you know, these, these things are coming at you. Even if it doesn't hit you directly in a vital organ, you know, you're going to catch fire and you're, you're dead. So it's a really important piece of armament in, a, in, a, in that kind of a battle. You needed that shield. It was necessary. Um, so Paul says here, 
above all the shield of faith. He's saying the shield is really important. I mean, all this other stuff is important, but this is above that, even beyond that, really important to have. So what is the analogy from the physical to the spiritual? He says, in the spiritual battle, what acts as that function in our life, that protective measure? What does he say it is? It's our faith. It's faith, right? It's faith. It's this, it's this thing that we were trying to define a little while ago, this belief, this trust, this, this confident hope in God that, that says even though there's a battle raging, uh, God is with me and He's for me and I can believe the truth and He's going to rescue me at some point and I can trust Him um, you know, and His plan for my life even in the, in the middle of, of all this going on. And so Paul talks about faith, our faith being the thing that guards us. And, and it gives us the picture of Satan, you know, launching these flaming arrows at us of, of, of uh, temptation and of discouragement and of doubt and of uh, uh, hopelessness and loneliness and fear and all of these things, you know, coming at us and we're sitting ducks apart from being able to, what, be shielded by, by faith. It's faith that, 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 you know, and we think back to Jesus' temptation. Um, we talked about this in regards to truth. When, when Satan lied, which all of his temptations were twisted lies to some degree, Satan, Jesus responded with truth. But also you see faith evident in that interaction as well. Because in some sense, all of Satan's temptations with Jesus were temptations in some way, shape, or form to distrust God, right? To do something other than what God had, had, had laid out for him. Something other than what God's will was for him. That was ultimately at the bottom of it. And in every case, Jesus' response to him was, no, I won't distrust God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to trust his will and obey him. I have faith in him. I'm not going to, I'm not going to divert from that. And so there's faith at the bottom of it. And, it's, and essentially, that's, that's, that's kind of the same picture. As Satan comes at us with these, with these fiery darts of temptations and all these other things, um, there, there's, there's a, there is underneath all of that, uh, a goal of, of, of causing us to distrust God, right? To lose faith, to lose faith. To e- either to lose faith or to misplace our faith. We could say it that way, right? We either lose faith in God and we, we no longer believe that He's got our best interest in mind. We no longer believe that He's with us or we no longer believe that He loves us or we lose faith that He's got a plan for us, that He's with us, that He's going to protect us, that He's going to deliver us. All of those things are subject. We can lose faith in them. Or we begin to place our faith in ourselves or in someone else apart from Him. And, and these fiery darts are aimed at getting us to do that, to lose faith in God, to distrust Him. You know? And so Paul is saying here, look, at the bottom line, faith becomes a shield for us. When we exercise faith, we're battling against that temptation to not trust God. Um, I don't know if you've ever felt this before in your life. Have you? Have you ever gone through a season where you were just under some sort of intense battle, whether it be a battle with depression or discouragement or loneliness or unfulfilled sort of dreams and, or God has is, you know, allowed circumstances in your life that have taken you somewhere you didn't plan to go? You know, you've lost your job. You're facing some sort of, some sort of sickness or disease or something has happened that you didn't plan. And, and you find yourself pretty quickly sometimes in those moments questioning your faith have you ever has anybody felt that have you ever sensed that you know wondering well what do i believe do i trust god can i trust god is he really with me does he really have my best interest at heart is he really going to deliver me does he really have a plan for my life you know does he really know what's best for me can i really trust him that ultimately that question comes to the surface pretty quickly particularly 
particularly in two, in two situations. Particularly when the battle is intense and particularly when the battle is long. Would you agree with that? Um, and I think when we're talking about this, this imagery, we kind of get it from that, right? This idea of, of a shield and fiery darts. We're talking about an intense sort of a thing. You know, fiery darts in my world is intense, okay? Somebody should have flame an arrow at me. That's intense, okay? Um, we're not talking about a little squabble here. We're talking about something big going on. And, um, and you've got a, a defensive weapon, you know, which is essentially what a shield is. It's, 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 about, it's about enduring. It's about withstanding the volleys as they come. It speaks to the issue of endurance. And, and I think that that's when our faith is really challenged. It's, 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 you know, we come in spiritual battles that are small a lot. But it's when those battles are intense, really intense, and when they endure for long periods of time that our faith is really, really challenged. I told you, I'm, I've talked to two people this week who are going through this, and in both cases, there are situations where the, where, the, where the battle is intense. It comes coming at them in areas that are really personal and really hard and really hurtful, and, and it's gone on for a long time. And at this moment, there's no, there's no end point and no closure that they can look to. And so it's both of these things. The battle is, is, is requiring endurance, and it's intense. And you know, and in both cases, our conversation is circling around questions of faith. It is. And that's what they're rolling around in their heads. Can I really trust God? It, it, you know, when the Bible says I, I can have hope, do I really believe that? Because right now I don't feel very hopeful. Um, you know, are, can, I, can I believe that God's trust and have faith in the fact that God's plans are, are best for me because I can't see anything that looks good on the horizon? Um, and this isn't the plan that I had for my life. I had this whole other picture, and here's what's come down the pipe. Can I really? So it's, question, it's a question of faith. Um, have, you, have, you, have you had those kind of moments in your life when you've, when you've felt that, when you've been rocked by some kind of a battle, and you, those questions come up? And, and you realize that faith is in the balance, and that's why Paul is saying here, when the battle is intense and when it's long and when it requires endurance, it's the shield of faith. We've got to maintain faith. Um, so uh, we have we have Paul talking about this and laying this out for us like that. Um, one of the authors of one of the resources that we've been using to shape this study, a guy by the name of James Franklin, in his study on this, he talks about um, a particular lengthy spiritual battle that he went through, and in his case, it dealt with this lengthy season of his life where he was going through intense questions about the security of his salvation, trying to wrestle through, am I really a believer? And, and he, he talks about this long period of, of, of like five years where he really battled with finding some security in his, in his faith. And he was, he, he, in a real sense, under attack. And, um, <clears throat> and so he, he, he talks about that at length, and I won't share all of that with you. Um, but he, he, he says a couple of things about that, that I think are worth uh, mentioning from his testimony. Um, he says, look, it wasn't until I came to the place, it wasn't until I came to the place where I could trust, where, where I began to trust God solely based on his word alone. In spite of anything else that I could see. It wasn't until I could come to the place where I could have confident trust in what God has told me in his word. It wasn't until that I got to that place that, that, that I found a road out of the battle. Um, and he says this. Here's the attitude that I had to come to uh, in order to, to, to kind of uh, come out. It was a, and it relates to faith. He says this. 
He says, I had to come to the place where I understood this, that my inability to change my circumstances matters not one little whit. I don't care how long it'll be before deliverance comes. It doesn't matter the length of the road I must walk. I don't care how hard the journey. I know that my God will come for me. Uh, Shall I cave into discouragement? Will I quit? No. For I'm convinced that in all these things we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other uh, created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I will not lose heart. My light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Yes, the Lord will bring my soul out of prison that I might praise his name. It, it, that sounded familiar to you, parts of it, because it's, it's quotations from various parts of Scripture that he had planted in his mind. And it wasn't until he could come to the place where he could say, yes, I can trust in these things. I can, I can confidently say that these things are true in spite of what the circumstances around me feel like and look like and what my experience is at any moment. I can say that these things are true and I believe them by faith. You see, God uses these battles in our life to develop us in the area of our faith. He often uses these very things to strengthen our faith. It's easy to have faith when life is good, right? When life is good, it's easy. It's easy to say, yeah, I trust God. Sure I do. You know, the bills are paid. I've got a good job. You know, the kids are turning out pretty good so far. You know, other than a few little nicks and, you know, cuts here and there. Um, You know, marriage is all right at the moment. Um, You know, health is pretty good. Hey, yeah, I trust God. That's easy. That's easy. It's hard when the battle comes. And God often allows or even brings battles into our life. Um, I think one of the primary purposes for these things is to develop us in the area of our faith. Because faith in the good times is often a very shallow faith. And we discover that often when good times turn to bad times. Um, And God uses these very things to, to, to bring our faith to a point of crisis to where we have to come to the bottom of ourselves and either decide, do I, am I going to trust God or am I not? Do I, do I believe Him or don't I? And He often has to bring us to the point where we have no choice but to make that decision before we actually do. And uh, this was the case with uh, Mr. Franklin. Here's, here's one thing that he said. He said, when I came to the point that I trusted God on no more evidence than His Word, when I believed though nothing changed outwardly, then He came for me. And he talks about, in his case, it was then that the deliverance from the battles began to happen. And he saw God fighting on his behalf and came out on the other side. Um, but that's a hard place to come to, isn't it? It's a hard place to come to. Um, and faith is at the bottom of this thing. It's, it's trusting God. It's looking to his word and saying, can I believe him? Can I trust him? Even though everything outwardly doesn't look like I have any evidence of that. Um, and that's what spiritual warfare does to us. It's what it does. It brings us to the place where we have to, where we have to make those decisions. And, and our faith either grows or it collapses, one or the other. I've seen both. I've gone through seasons where both have happened in my life. I'm sure I'm assured that you do too, and you have too probably. Um, I'm going to give you just quickly as we wrap this up a couple of things that he he gives as far as practical some some practical things that he learned through that experience of his life um, that he's employed later in life when battles come. Some practical sort of advice for when the battle 
uh, is raging what to do and what not to do. And he, he gives four things that I think are pretty helpful. Um, the first one is he said, I learned don't turn inward. Don't turn inward. There's a temptation when the battle hap- when the battle is raging to, to turn inward and to let whatever that, that thing is that's happening begin to consume your life, right? Begin to consume your thoughts and consume your mind and consume... It begins to define you, really. And he talks about how, in his case, that was a reality. His struggle, he says, became the centerpiece of his universe. It dictated the agenda of his life. Maybe you've been through a season where that happened, where there was a battle going on, and you, you turn inward and it be, consumes you. There is no life outside of that, that trouble or that problem or that battle. Um, and, you know, I, I've got one of my friends right now that's there. It's, it's, it's complete, he can't see anything outside of his struggle. It's, it's completely consumed his mind. It's hard for him to think about anything else. And um, that, that is one of the goals of the enemy, right? If he can get you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ consumed with ourself and our problems, then that means what, what are we not consumed with? The Lord and his will and the kingdom of God. Okay, we're out of the battle. We're out of the race. We're out of whatever analogy you want to use that Paul uses. We're out of it. We're not standing anymore. We're down. If we turn inward, we're down. And that's part of the goal. That's part of the goal of the enemy, to get us down. So don't turn inward. And the second thing he, he said is, I learned, don't sit down. Don't sit down. He says one of the things that happened is, as, as early on in this, he was really ashamed because... He didn't think Christians were supposed to have these kind of questions and, and doubts. We didn't want to talk about it to anybody. Um, and so he adopted what he calls a bunker mentality. Just kind of get in the bunker and hole up and put the walls up and, you know, keep everybody out. And um, he says, what I should have done is I should have kept my eyes on God and I should have kept going about God's business instead of getting out. And... Um, Paul is a great example of that, right? So in using um, uh, the example that we had earlier of this, of this uh, thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan that, 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 that was going on in Paul's life, did he sit down? Did he get out of the work of the ministry? He asked God to remove it three times. God said no three times, so Paul sat out for the rest of his life? No. He said, all right, so be it. I'm going to keep on. And he kept on going refuse to sit down. He tells the Corinthians, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And his life was an example of that, right? Even though he's carrying this, this, this battle around, it's, it's intense and it's enduring. He said, I'm, I'm steadfast, I'm immovable, I'm going to always abound in the work of the Lord. I'm going to refuse to sit out just because there's a battle raging. See, if he knew something that we forget, that when we sit out, that's exactly the goal of the enemy. The point is not just discouragement or fear or anger or temptation or sin. That's not the goal. The goal is to get us out, out of the work of the Lord, to get our eyes off of the Lord personally and to get us out of the work of his kingdom. So that's the goal. Or to use Paul's analogy, to, be, to not be standing. And so he said, you know, this is, Paul understood that. He said, you know what? I'm not getting out. I'm not get, if I can walk... I'm going to the next town. If I can speak, I'm going to speak the gospel. You know, I'm going to keep going, whatever it takes. And I think that's true in our case. You know, uh, don't don't turn inward. Don't sit down. And the other thing he said was this: I, I do everything I know to do to to, to, to continue to seek God's perspective. You know, I, I see this one way, but how might God be seeing this? You know, He has a different viewpoint than I have. 
My viewpoint is kind of horizontal. I can only see what's in front of me. I don't see the future. I don't know what's around the corner. But God does. He knows the beginning to the end, right? And his plan is, is completely different. He's not surprised with, with, by what's around the corner. I am all the time. Um, but it, it's, it's getting out of this horizontal and beginning to say, okay, God, give me, give me some insight into your perspective. What might your perspective uh, be on this particular issue? I remember uh, a friend um, who, who uh, was single for a long time, who more than anything desperately wanted to get married. And uh, maybe you were in that position in your life at some point, but this guy, was his age was getting up, and um, you know most of the people that he was friends with had already gotten married, and he hadn't, and he wanted that, and it just wasn't happening. He was trying different things, you know, and it just wasn't playing out for him. And I remember him coming, sitting in my office, and sitting in the, the chair all slouched down, you know, like this, and just discouraged, and you know, depressed, and you know, in his mind, all he could see was the horizontal, you know. No, I'm never going to find a woman, I'm never going to get married, you know, I'm going to be this miserable single guy the rest of my life. That was all he could think of, you know, that was just from his perspective, he was convinced that that was the case. You know, it hadn't happened yet, it's never going to happen, and you know, so on and so forth. Um, and it was funny, it was within with less than a year from that meeting in my office, we were, we were at his wedding, and uh, uh, and, and, you know, this whole thing had completely turned around. I remember in that meeting saying to him, look, you don't know the future. You don't know what's going to turn out like that. God sees this thing differently. You don't know what's right around the corner. You don't know if next month or a month from now God's got this plan for you. He's got a different perspective that you can't see. And, you know, of course, when you're in the middle of that, you don't want to hear that kind of stuff, right? Um, um, but I remember at his wedding saying to him, do you remember, do you remember that meeting we had, you know, nine or ten months ago when you came into my office and slouched down in the chair and, you know, the world was collapsing and you just didn't think anything was ever going to be good again. Look around, man. And uh, you know, part of me was saying, hey, I was right. You should have listened to me. But, um, but what I really wanted him to see was not to rub in that I was right about that, but I wanted him to, I wanted him to learn God has a perspective that we don't have. He sees what's around the corner. We don't. We can't presume to know those things. And so when the battle is raging, even if it's endured for a long time and we can't see the finish line, we can in the middle of it say, God, okay, I understand how I see this, but Lord, I know you see it a different way. Help me to, be get, to get some grasp for how you see this and how you might have this thing turning out uh, in some way that I can't understand. Um, I'm going I'm to focus on you and, and, and um, continuing to do what you've told me to do in the middle of this. Uh, and then lastly, begin to do the things, uh, begin to prepare for God's deliverance. You know, if God says he's going to deliver you, then begin to act like it. Begin to prepare. You know, if I'm in the middle of the battle and things are not good, what can I do to prepare for the time when God does deliver me? You know, I can begin to throw myself into the word of God and I can put it in my mind. I can develop my prayer life. I can work on my relationship with the Lord. I was talking with a guy today at lunch about that. He's going through this battle, you know. And I was saying to him, you know, it's a great time for you to get into the study, study God's word deeper pray more begin to work on your prayer life begin to do some of these things so that when god does bring you out of this thing um you know you're prepared for it there there's things you can grow and learn from it Uh, and you're ready to launch into whatever he's got for you at the other side um and so i thought these were some really good practical tips uh that franklin gave um for what do we do in the middle of the battle or what do we not do um and so um uh, but you know god loves faith and we could talk about this more, and I won't because you're going to hear some of it Sunday. Um, but, you know, there are ample examples in Scripture of, of, of Jesus being impressed by faith. Do you remember any of those? Huh? Okay. All right. The, the lady with the, the, the bleeding who touched the hem of his robe. Okay. 
Um, so there was faith and he recognized that faith. That's one example where he was impressed because of their faith. So there's faith. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, you don't even need to go there. All you have to do is say the word and, and my servant will be healed. And he said, I haven't seen faith like that even among Israel. So he's impressed. There was a Syrophoenician woman. Do you remember this woman who, um, uh, who had a, uh, was it a demon-possessed child? And she had asked Christ to deliver, and he first ignores her. And she keeps after him. And, and, and he kind of brushes her off again, and she stays at it. And finally, he does it, and he speaks to the issue of her faith. He's impressed by the fact that she, her faith was such that she wouldn't give up. So we have all these examples of, of, of um of God is blessed by our faith and he desires to develop that in us and one of the ways he does it is through warfare it's through battle um, so I challenge you you know whatever comes your way this week or whatever you're dealing with right now at this moment um, ask the question what is the status of my faith is it being undermined by this battle has the enemy been successful in, in kind of undercutting my trust in God has he gotten me out of the battle has he gotten me to where I'm not focused on him anymore? I'm so inward towards my problem. Has he gotten me sitting out of the work of the kingdom because of this? Um, am I doing anything to work towards preparing my heart for when he's going to deliver me? Um, if not, then it's a good time to begin to pray that God would help you to do those things and to get behind that shield of faith. So let's pray for one another and for ourselves in that tonight. God, we, uh, we understand that faith doesn't come naturally. We are people who live by sight. And we like to see things. We like to hear them, smell them, touch them. We like to know what we're dealing with. And, um, uh, Lord, uh, it's frightening. It's frightening to live by faith for us, um, to trust what we can't see, to have confidence in one whom we've never uh, spoken with or heard speak audibly, that we can't touch with our senses. And yeah, that's what that's what faith is. That's what you've called us to. But yet at the same time, God, we have ample examples of how you have always been faithful to us. You've never, you've never failed us. You have never uh, deceived us. You have never failed to live up to your promises. And uh, Lord, you've given us your word and ample example and testimony of that. And in our lives, we've all seen it in various ways. And yet, Lord, when the battle begins to rage, inevitably. We begin to question, and often we doubt, and we turn inward, and we do some of these things that we've talked about tonight. Uh, and, and God, we, we get knocked out of the battle. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, in each of our lives, begin to strengthen our faith. Strengthen us in the area of our faith. In believing in one we cannot see. And trusting your word and your promises, even when the circumstances around our life uh, seem like those things are not coming true for us. Help us with that, Lord. Keep us from turning inward. Keep us from sitting out of your work and your kingdom. Oh, Lord, help us to, to gain your perspective on a regular basis of what's going on in our life. And help us to use these opportunities when the battle rages to, to dig into your word and to dig into relationship with you in prayer and to, to begin to prepare for that time when you are going to rescue us. And Lord, for the friends in my life that I know right now are in intense battles, I pray for them that you'd help them. Uh, help them in the area of their faith. Strengthen their faith. That they'd be able to see beyond the whirlwind that's blowing right now. And the same is true for any in, in this room. Lord, I, I don't know what everybody in here is, is wrestling with at the moment. And uh, I trust that because they're here, you have a purpose in their life for hearing this tonight uh, from your word. So I pray for them that, uh, that, that Lord, that, that you would take this and plant it in them and it would benefit even this week. 
uh, as those flaming arrows come firing at their lives. Help them to hunker down behind their faith, to trust you, uh, that at the end of the day they might find themselves still standing. Lord, strengthen our faith. Make us mature in our faith. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. And